Right. I mean, countdown clocks are nice, but you know, tell, the a clock telling you your train is going to be late is not preferable I've never to. Understood the countdown clock you phenomenon. Know, I in really my don't. day, I... you just go walk to the platform edge and look down the tunnel and see if you see the lights. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the Citizens Budget Commission, your favorite New York budget watchdog. Follow us on Twitter at CBCNY, and I'm at Maria Dulles. And find Gotham Gazette online with our latest news reporting on city and state politics and government. On Twitter, we're at Gotham Gazette, and I'm at TweetBenMax. For this episode of What's the Data Point, we are joined by Jamison Daig, Citizen Budget Commission's Director of Infrastructure Studies. Welcome. Great to be here. Thanks. And for our data point today, Maria? The data point is 30 days. That is the number of days in which New York City Transit will be conducting a top-to-bottom review of its organizational structure. This was announced by the governor on the same day he decreed a state of emergency in the MTA region in an executive order on June 29th. But wait, there's more. Uh, 30 days for an organizational review, 60 days for creating a roadmap for improving the subway system, which suggests there'll be additional review and amendments of the capital plan and the introduction of a public dashboard. And then in 90 days, uh, be, the MTA is charged with working with Con Ed for evaluating system vulnerabilities and making improvements. So we're here to discuss these developments and more. And astoundingly, we all made it here on time. Yeah, so thank you, Maria, for that introduction. Uh, Governor Cuomo was sort of pressured into making some of these announcements. State of emergency, review, new chair of the MTA, Joe Loda coming back. Um, you know, a lot of attention here happening. Jameson Diggs studies this stuff every day, is going to bring us some important facts um, that explain a lot of what's going on at the MTA uh, and help us sort of break through some of the noise and the political finger pointing, which I can always summarize for us. But at CBC, you guys are much more interested in the data, uh, the numbers, the policy, and, and helping us connect that. So, um, Jameson. What um, what are the as Joe Loda and the MTA they're in this state of emergency they're in this review of transit what are the key indicators they should be looking at? Well, a couple of the indicators that we included uh, in our piece uh, that welcomed back Joe Loda to the MTA uh, was looking at the subway system's performance, uh, both its what they call their on-time performance and their weight assessment. Um, on-time performance basically does the train run on time. Uh, the weight assessment being how long do you have to wait in between trains. Uh, and what we found is, despite the fact that you have this recent declaration of emergency and uh, various videos of train derailments or cars stuck in tunnels, um, that the subway's been declining on these metrics for, for quite a while. Um, and sort of driving home the idea that um, there is a lot to do to sort of turn it around and, and get it back up to the agency's goals. So when we talk about on-time performance and we talk about delays, help us understand what you just said about two parts of that. One is this isn't all of a sudden happening. And even though lots of popular attention and lots of political attention have just sort of been really focused on this, this isn't this isn't new, as you just indicated. There really isn't 
I mean, there there is clearly sort of a crisis moment here, but this has been building and it's been clear and there's sort of some data to show that we're not necessarily just in some new territory, right? Right, right. Since 2010, the MTA has seen a general decline in their subway on-time performance across most of its line. Um, back in 2010, about 88% of trains finished their, uh, finished their scheduled run on time. Um, in April, that number is about 63%. So there's a, a significant drop off. It's been fairly steady. Um, and the weight assessment, while it's been sort of steadier, um, sort of the distance between trains has been uh, performed a little bit better. Um, we have seen um, decreased performance, particularly in the last year. Um, and with both of these metrics, uh, sort of the averages kind of hide some of the worst performing lines, um, particularly the two, uh, the four, uh, and the five and the six uh, struggle a lot, both in on-time performance and weight assessment. Um, and uh, for the seven and A train also do pretty poorly on the weight assessment. So we're getting uh, pretty close to half the half the lines there. But, right, yeah. right. Um, <laughs> you know, most of the numbered right. lines and, and starting to get into some of the lettered lines as well. So, um, you know, while those metrics are, are really important, uh, they measure the subway's punctuality and reliability. Um, we also looked at the performance of uh, the rolling stock and the subway cars and and they measure this the mta measures this by looking at the mean distance between failure essentially the amount of miles a train car can travel uh, before something causes it to stop some sort of malfunction um, and we've seen uh, that decrease about 24 percent since the beginning of 2014. so it's one of the big causes of, of some of the delays that we're seeing um is train car breakdown yes yeah okay that's right so the lines you mentioned are some of the most crowded, particularly during peak rush hour. How does overcrowding play into this dynamic? Uh, particularly for on-time performance, uh, crowding can play a, a significant role. Um, if you have more crowding, it takes longer to uh, leave and, and board a train, which means that the dwell time, the amount of time a train is actually sitting in a station for a stop, uh, can get extended. And if you have you know, our, our subways are, are have long lines in many stations, so this can sort of accumulate, particularly in peak periods. Um, plays less of a role in sort of weight assessment. If everyone sort of, if all trains are sort of dealing with this issue, it shouldn't necessarily uh, require them to get sort of out of whack when it comes to uh, the time and distance between two trains. However, that's sort of a small comfort to someone who's on a train trying to get somewhere on time. They don't necessarily um, care whether, you know, the next train shows up at the station on, you know, within four minutes or whatnot. They're more concerned about their train that they're on uh, getting to its final destination on time. And so the, the other, one of the other things you're looking at, I mean, there's a lot of focus on on the trains and the wait times and the crowding, but you're also, you know, New Yorkers interact with their subway stations a lot and you're sort of looking at, at that. And the MTA is putting resources toward subway station revitalization, but but is that a good use of resources? And, and what does that look like? We've taken a close look at station work in general. Um, and, and sort of what we've found is that the system is so vast, there are over 470 separate stations, um, more than any other transit system in the world. A few um, more than Chicago's, that, That's right? true, a few, a few more than Chicago's. <laughs> um, 
and they're and they are uh, you know basically open 24 hours a day as as people can use the subway um, and it's very tough to get in there and, and get work done to basically bring these stations up to a state of good repair um, in the past what we found is that the MTA does a pretty good job of targeting the the resources it does have to the neediest stations but that the pace of work would require decades um, in order to bring all the stations up to a state of good repair. Um, The most recent capital plan amendment, which was approved by the board in May, um, devotes an additional about 900 million to station work. And most of it is, while some of it is for the new fair payment system and for additional uh, projects relating to ADA accessibility and elevators and escalators at stations, um, a big chunk is for uh, what they are calling the Enhanced Station Initiative, uh, which is a reimagination of the way that the MTA will do subway station projects and not only looks at repairing sort of the nuts and bolts structural components that go into uh, a station, whether it's stairs or platform edges or columns, um, sort of structural uh, uh, components like that, but also enhancing the experience for the customer, whether that's nicer finishes or uh, improved Wi-Fi service or countdown clocks. And um, what we're sort of right now looking at is what is sort of the added costs of these enhancements and what sort of... uh, process is the MTA using to implement these projects? Are there um, ideas from the Enhanced Station Initiative that could be applied to either other stations projects or other projects in the capital plan um, in order to uh, complete them uh, more quickly and on budget? And so on the Enhanced Station Initiative, this is something you're studying and you're you're going to be putting out a report on soon, we should look for. Yeah, we hope to next week have something out um, that sort of looks at the comparative pros and cons of the Enhanced Station Initiative and sort of uh, thinks about what is the role of an enhanced station um, in a uh, system that's experiencing an emergency. Right. I mean, countdown clocks are nice, but, you know, a clock telling you your train is going to be late is not preferable to... I've never understood the countdown clock phenomenon. In my day, you just go walk to the platform edge and look down the tunnel and see if you see the lights to know if the train's coming. Um, And that that was fine because the trains would come. Um, But let's let's stick sort of to the Enhanced Station Initiative and the capital plan because... um, This is a capital plan. It's for the 2015 to 2019 period. There was a lot of controversy surrounding this plan from its outset. It was adopted more than a year late into the plan, and it's already been amended, right? So most recently, it was amended in May to incorporate some of these enhanced station initiatives that you spoke about. Um, Does the amendment, does the capital plan amendment really address, you know, did it add resources and were those resources directed to the things that would really go to improving the the core customer experience related to the metrics you discussed, you know, making the system more reliable and able to function? Or was the money spent on other things? There was more money added uh, in the May amendment. Uh, The plan went from about $29.5 billion to $32 billion. Um, and for the most part, uh, the, the additions to the plan uh, were for enhancements and expansions uh, rather than increasing 
the amount of state of good repair work and sort of what they call normal replacement work, which is replacing either buses or subway cars or equipment on uh, sort of normal process. They aren't, they haven't surpassed their useful life, but just again, upkeep type projects. Um, and you know, how do we measure this? You know, how do we measure how much uh, is needed to keep the system going in a state of good repair? And unfortunately, the the MTA uh, ahead of its uh, capital plan period puts together what they call a twenty year needs assessment, and it looks at all of the various infrastructure components and what would be needed over five year periods uh, in order to uh, bring the system to a state of good repair and maintain the system in a state of good repair. And what's sort of uh, interesting, I guess, about the most recent 20-year needs assessment done for the 2015 to 2019 plan period and where we are now with the amended capital plan is that it, it shows that, that the MTA plans to underinvest in the system. So how much? How, you know, what is sort of this, the scale of this? Let me just pause you. Um, sure. Underinvest. I mean, that's you know just a key word. Is is sort of shocking to hear for some, given what's going on, and given you know people who study this closely, like yourself. I just want to make sure that you know that headline is sort of clear to people that you're talking about a, an assessment of of underinvestment, and and I'm eagerly awaiting your explanation. Yeah. Right. I um the. You know, any decisions for the capital plan have to balance not only uh, the resources available, but also what uh, the MTA has the capacity to manage when it comes to their uh, capital construction, and also what the public is willing to sort of put up with as far as projects, service disruptions, weekend closures, things like that. Um, however, as we've seen with, with some of the recent uh, stories and, and issues with, with particularly subway service is that um, folks are very upset with the way that the subway is performing right now. So perhaps that's less of an issue. Um, but, but resources are, um, at least in, in this amended capital plan, um, not, not there in, in the levels that the MTA has said that they've needed as part of their continuing needs. Uh, for example, uh, it's estimated that New York City Transit would need about $20 billion, um, in basically state of good repair work and normal replacement. And the amended plan has a shortfall of about $7 billion. Um, so Of that 20 So of it's, that it's 20. got about 13 Right. So, I mean, to be fair to the MTA, this is a universal problem in the public sector, right? We are constantly under-investing. We're constantly in a state of catch-up. Um, and the MTA, I think to its credit, its needs assessment is much better than that done by a lot of public entities. And that we know how much the need is. We know where it is. We know where it is for types of assets. Um, part of the issue, though, and, you know, we at CBC have, have said, have stressed the importance of making the commitment to try to get as close to good repair as possible in, in an acceptable time period, right? But part of it is not so much that, the plan doesn't make up the whole state of good repair as well the available assets and the the resources the public is willing to dedicate are being divided among other expansion projects among the mega projects among uh, repairs but also these enhanced these enhancements right so how much of the the amendment is going to or how much of the capital plan um, goes to some of these expansions instead of the repair 
So just, or to put it another way, if we stopped working on the Second Avenue subway, could we make up the repairs that we needed to the system? And speaking of the as as Jameson prepares to answer that, uh, speaking of the mega projects, we had the MTA's Jano Lieber on the last episode. In case you missed that one, you should go back and listen because you know he just uh, took over the major capital program for the MTA or uh, projects and had a lot of illuminating things to say about about those, Jameson. Right. Uh, well, you know, there's there's significant sums for these enhancements and expansions. Um, more than a fifth of the total plan will go toward network expansions. Um, this includes some projects which have already begun. Um, Eastside Access, which is a project to bring the Long Island Railroad to a new terminal beneath Grand Central. Uh, the Second Avenue Subway, which Phase 1 is now operating, and, and uh, the, the plan includes at least the beginnings of phase two. Um, other projects which are sort of new to this capital plan period uh, include Penn Access, which is an initiative to bring the Metro North Railroad into Penn Station and build new stations in the Bronx. Um, and then what's been added as part of the May Amendment is a third track along the main line of the Long Island Railroad. Um, now this is a, a, about a $2 billion project um, which will allow for more operational flexibility for the Long Island Railroad. Uh, it will reduce a choke point um, where most Long Island Railroad users currently travel now. Um, but again, it's sort of an expansion project that is, that is being moved forward and, and prioritized. Um, and there, there may be some, some concerns about the timeline there in order to sort of get the biggest bang for the buck. Um, the certain components of Eastside Access must be completed first in order to sort of get the most out of the main line. Um, but these are the, the types of sort of expansion projects that, that can crowd out other investments in, in keeping the system in a state of good repair. And... That was the thrust of the much-talked-about Rahm Emanuel op-ed, right, that, that actually Mayor de Blasio had praised for. He thought he was right, although he said it yesterday it was strange to hear the Chicago you know, mayor chime in. But, um, but that was the thrust of that argument that you know, was much-talked-about, about how Chicago is focused on repair, not expansion. But um, anyway, you were saying that, that it can, can take some focus away. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And so... The, the capital plan, I mean, we want to make sure everybody understands, is, is a rolling plan that covers 2015 to 2019, right? And it gets adjusted, and the governor just said another billion dollars that he'll put in next year's budget, but we haven't quite seen that worked in yet. Correct. And I would expect that that's something part of the 60-day review uh, that the MTA is currently uh, undergoing uh, the review of the capital plan and, and the possibility of identifying projects that could help uh, address the current emergency status with the MTA. Um, it's that billion dollars has neither been included in a capital plan amendment or identified for particular projects, uh, nor has sort of the funding been authorized by the legislature. Um, but that's something which uh, the governor has said will be a priority next year, and um, we'll have to see how that fits in with the uh, any additional amendments to the capital program. So when Jano Lieber was here last week, he was talking about, you know, reviewing the management of the mega projects and improving performance there. He touched a little bit upon um, speeding up the MTA's procurement, which is definitely part of the governor's executive order slash state of emergency. 
Um, and so there's work within the MTA to be, to improve its capacity to do this work and get this stuff done and procure the assets more quickly. Um, but, you know, as, as the governor is aware with his announcement, you know, this is going to come down to a conversation about money again very quickly. Um, what are the best ideas out there for, well, one, does the MTA need more money? And two, what are the best ideas out there for getting the MTA more money? Uh, the, the first part of your question, does the MTA need money, um, particularly for its capital program, is sort of the, what we've been talking about here. And, and the short-term answer to that is, is not, not necessarily. Um, there are uh, over $10 billion in unspent capital funds from previous capital plans, that is, plans uh, basically spanning the 2000 to 2014 period. Um, and it's, you know, some of those, the projects have been identified and in some cases they've been sort of contracts have been signed, but the, the work isn't done yet. So there's sort of a lag in, in, in the need for this cash. Um, long term, um, you know, we sort of talked about it before. There's a concern about underinvestment. There's a concern about, you know, how do you enhance and expand a system um, for a growing region? Um, and, and it looks like, yes, there, there will be sort of a need for additional capital resources. Um, the MTA's uh, own debt has, has increased significantly. Um, debt service now covers a little bit less, I think, than 20% of the total budget. So it's it, it, other folks are going to have to sort of come to the table or other sources of revenue are going to need to be identified in and order to... Let's to, pause here for a minute to just explain to people, bonding out in and of itself is not a way to pay for something because something has to repay the debt, right? So the question is, what are the sources of revenue that will consistently be there to repay the debt? That's right. Those are the, the sources that, that, I, that, that we're sort of describing here. Um, at CBC, we've long advocated for um, a funding framework that divides uh, the, the revenue sources from, or the, the sources of revenue, I should say, from who benefits from a, a mass transit system. And we've, we've looked at, uh, you know, user fees, fares, people who, who use the system every day to pay sort of their fair share. Um, we've also looked at the idea of general taxpayers who benefit from uh, beneficial employment and, and real estate values within the region because there is sort of this mass transit system that allows for uh, circulation of the population. Um, and then a third source being motorists, uh, those that benefit um, from mass transit being there to take cars and trucks off the road, well, not trucks, excuse me, cars off the road. Um, SUVs, you know, cars. There you go. Um, Truckish. Cars off the road so that there isn't as much congestion so that you can drive around a little bit easier. And then also uh, even the, sort of the negative externalities brought on sort of by pollution. So there's the, those are sort of the ideas that, that motorists should should help cross-subsidize uh, mass transit. And we've, we've, you know, and they already do this to an extent. It's, it's through sort of... Uh, most directly through tolls on MTA-owned bridges and tunnels, um, and also through motor vehicle taxes that they pay to the state, which then the state sort of uh, filters down to the MTA through through various sources, whether that's the gas tax or registration fees or other types of uh, petroleum business taxes and things like that. Um, one of the things that we've looked at um, is the idea of a vehicle miles user fee, essentially uh, a, 
what's called a vehicle miles tax that takes a look at the amount of distance that you travel over a road and charges you a, a set amount per mile. And, you know, that that is a little bit um, still sort of newfangled, I guess. They are uh, trying this out in, in other parts of the country, um, but it has some benefits over the gas tax, um, which which make it seem like it might be sort of a long-term alternative to that. And, and one in which it could, uh, you know, better sort of measure actually the amount of wear and tear you put on roads, um, but also in that you could sort of dynamically uh, charge it based on, you know, how congested a road is or during peak travel times or things like that. So uh, we would hope that, you know, in the future that the, the state would look at that 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 might even someday become sort of a replacement to the gasoline tax. There's sort of the potential of applying that for other roads and bridges projects around the state as well. So um, that's one of the big things that we've promoted. Um, another thing that's sort of been talked about uh, around New York City in particular is the idea of a surcharge on for hire vehicle trips, particularly those uh, completed by uh, companies such as Uber and Lyft. Um, Right now, they're treated a little bit differently from taxi cabs. Uh, taxi cabs uh, include a 50 cent surcharge on their trips, which goes directly to the MTA. Um, right now, there is no sort of matching amount for uh, these trips completed um, by these Ubers and Lyfts and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so there's sort of the idea of, of equalizing the treatment there um, to aid the MTA and its its sort of funding needs in the future. Great. And and um, those will be watching, obviously, as, as those are considered. And of course, there's the um, typically referred to congestion pricing plan known as Move, Move NY, Move New York. That is, you know, being debated and we'll see if there's any movement on that. I guess we'll have to wait for the new year for that, but in Albany. But in the meantime, we're watching for the 30-day review and the 60-day review, and we're you know looking to see in the quieter summertime here what the MTA comes up with and what they're willing to tell the public about you know what their plan is to address this this crisis. So thank you, Jameson Daig, for joining us on What's the Data Point, and we will uh, be back in the coming weeks with more on New York policy and politics. Thanks for listening. Bye.